Ladies and gentlemen and WMUA sports aficionados, we're back with another episode of the UMass Basketball Podcast um, here on WMUA. You can find us on Spotify. Just search up WMUA 91.1. This would not be possible without Hot Table Panini, located on Route 9 in Hadley. They've been serving the Pioneer Valley since 2007. Customers can try out the new Cranberry Turkey Club, Pumpkin Bisque, or Harvest Salad for a limited time only. Along with the Hadley location, Hot Table has seven other stores, including two in Springfield and two in Connecticut. Hot Table is open from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Saturday. Not on Sundays, because on Sundays they rest. And they look forward to continuing their service of the Amherst community with specialty paninis hot off the press. More information is available at hottable.com. I'm a huge fan of the Swiss steak mushroom, but because I don't like Swiss cheese, I get it with mozzarella. But that is beside the point. We've got a whole lot to talk about today. UMass coming off of a simply terrible loss to George Mason in double overtime. I'm Nathan Strauss. I'm joined by Devin Dobick and Joey Aliberti. Guys, where do we even begin? Devin, why don't you take us away for a second just to, to, you know, to bring us into our discussion of this game? Now, I don't want to kind of jump the gun here, and I don't want to make a hyperbole this early on, but on behalf of myself, I'll speak for myself. That was probably the worst basketball game I've ever watched. Um, there's just, there's so many things. And again, don't want to jump the gun. So I won't start firing off my pages and pages of points that upset me last night. Um, but yeah, simply put worst basketball game I've ever watched. I'll let Joey kind of give his initial reaction before we get into the specifics. <laughs> So I think you're you're not wrong at all by saying it's a very ugly basketball game. And um, I've never seen UMass Twitter so mad. Obviously, I've only been at UMass for a year and a half covering the sports, but UMass Twitter was very mad after last night's game and reasonably so. But um, the, the one thing that really stood out to me in the in the midst of everything was that until the last 1.9 seconds of double overtime, the last time that George Mason had the outright lead was with three minutes and 36 seconds left in the first half. So I thought that was a very telling stat in a way, but that's I guess that's all I'll say for now. Yeah, I mean, let's just go through some of the basic, basics of the game. For George Mason, his final score at 93-92. Mason wins in double overtime, led by Jordan Miller, who dropped 26 points and eight rebounds and five assists. He was definitely the best player on the court for most of the game. Tyler Kolek, a uh, a local-ish kid, went to St. George's in Rhode Island for high school and was the NEPSAC Class B Player of the Year uh, last year, dropped 19 points, including three of five from three. And uh, some of those late shots were incredibly important to keep Mason alive. And then for UMass... Underwhelming nights all around. Trey Mitchell dropped 23 points, but he only had 10 points going into, I think, the under 12 media timeout in the second half. Uh, 23 points and eight rebounds is pretty much what you would expect from him. But five turnovers to lead the team is certainly leaves something to be desired. Noah Fernandes, I thought, was UMass's best player on the night. 19 points, eight rebounds, five assists, two steals, or pardon me, two blocks and one steal on seven of 11 from the field. Or pardon me, 5 of 15 from the field, 7 of 11 from the free throw line. He was tied with Carl Pierre for the second team high uh, with 19 points. But all in all, pretty ugly night. 10 of 30 from three-point range for the Minutemen. 
including some some bailout threes. TJ Weeks, one for nine from behind the arc. That's a far cry from uh, what you would expect. And I think the big number that jumps off the board for me, 32 of 44 from the free throw line in a game that ended up being decided by one point, including Noah Fernandes, who uh, was one of the nation's leading three uh, leading free throw shooters by percentage at 90, 92% going into the game, missing four free throws. A couple of guys playing over 40 minutes for the Minutemen, Ryan DeGray, Carl Pierre, Noah Fernandes, and Trey Mitchell. Guys, Let's talk about, before we get to the overtime discussion and sort of focusing on the histrionics a little bit, what did you make of the first half? I, for one, thought it was a pretty slow and boring game. Not at all a sign of things to come. Yeah, well put. I mean, 28 points, and it was just turnover after turnover after turnover. Trey Mitchell, especially, I think he had, I want to say, three turnovers in the first half. It was an ugly first half all around for UMass. It was... Just, yeah, turnovers. I'm going to keep hitting that point because they couldn't get clean shots off. They were just – George Mason was turning it over just as much. I mean, they scored 25, I believe, in the first half. It was 28-25, I want to say. Yeah, 28-25. Yeah, it was just an absolute – just – it looked like – I don't – I mean, for lack of a better reference, it looked like a fifth-grade CYO basketball game. It was just – turnovers and 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 bad shots and and I was so frustrated um and and that's yeah that's how I'm gonna describe it yeah I think um ugly is the best word to describe um that first half especially when you look at the free throw percentages I think in the first half George Mason was somewhere in like the 40s for free throw percentage they finished it at 61 which is still absurd in itself just of how bad of a free throw shooting team they are and still being able to pull out the win but um yeah, uh, in the first half as well, something I picked up on in comparison to the second half in overtime, uh, George Mason's bigs and A.J. Wilson and uh, what's his name? Josh O'Duro were not in foul trouble. or Yeah, so they weren't in foul trouble. So Trey really just wasn't able to do anything. He'd get so many post pass and then just try to pass it out. A few resulting in turnovers early on and obviously leading the team in five. Um, they, they have to, as in UMass, has to find a way to – get Trey like good looks consistently because I feel like uh, with Brian and George Mason, they've, they've done the same exact strategy and it's kind of worked to an extent. The only time Trey in this game was really able to score is when those two guys were in foul trouble. Yeah. And I mean, talking about the foul trouble, Mason ended up having five players foul out. AJ green only had two fouls going into the second half uh, and fouled out. Um, Javon green, Started the game for Mason. I'm not sure whether he was injured or what, but he only ended up playing five minutes all night. Um, and so they were really down to just, you know, the bare bones of their rotation, especially later on as more and more players started to foul out. For UMass, I believe the only guy to foul out was uh, Javon Garcia, who only played 12 minutes on the night, made both of his shots, uh, including a three. But it seems like some of the hype around JG has cooled off a little bit over the uh, the the last couple of games. I still think he's got a lot of potential, but it seemed like after the first couple of games of the season, people were saying he's going to be you know like an all A ten kind of player. I think he he still has a little bit of a ways to go before we can say that comfortably. But all in all, there were some real underwhelming performances as well. Mark Gasparini looked like he was having trouble catching some of the passes. Cairo McCrory. Um, you know, 10 minutes off the bench, didn't score once. Debaji Walker didn't hit any of his any of his one shots. 
Um, and so UMass was really playing a six-man rotation for most of the night, consisting of Trey Mitchell, Noah Fernandes, Carl Pierre, who had a pretty good game, TJ Weeks, Ryan DeGray, and, and Ronnie DeGray, um, with a couple of other guys coming in off the bench. Um, but this game really sort of heated up in intensity late in the in the second half. Um, again, the first half was pretty slow. We knew that. Uh, but UMass finally was able to get a little bit of separation. Um, and I just want to bring up this, this chart that was posted on Twitter last night from ESPN about the win probability. UMass, aside from two brief segments of under 10 seconds in the first half, had a higher uh, a win probability that was greater than 50% um, the entire night, including win percentages that were in the 90s. And yet, multiple times, Mason was able to battle back by hook or by crook to end up tying. Um, and this game ended up going into double overtime. So I guess, why don't we start off by talking about the officiating on the TJ Weeks call that ended up giving Mason three free throws very, very late on in the second half. I'll get the exact timestamp here, um, but they, uh, okay, it was eight seconds left in the first half. UMass was up three. They run an in Mason gets the inbounds play from their baseline. They run a little near side screen and Tyler Kolek winds up open on the far side. Uh, pardon me, open on the, the near side corner. TJ Weeks, in my mind, is straight up and down. He doesn't even jump. He stays completely vertical, literally does everything that you could possibly ask of a defender and yet still gets called for the foul that late in a game that had been full of ticky tacky fouls all day long. What did you guys make of this call? Well, first of all, I, Nathan, you just said first half. I just want to make the simple correction in second half uh, towards the end of the game. Um, UMass up three, and yes, that foul was called, giving George Mason three free throws to tie the game. Um, he stuck his leg out. Um, there was, I was listening to Jay Burnham on the call, and he was like, yeah, th- he blatantly stuck his leg out. And TJ Weeks, um, I think they must have been looking at a landing foul or whatever, but I, I don't know, like landing or, yeah, that TJ Weeks was in the landing area. I, I really was trying to rack my brain together and figure out why they would have made such a call, but especially that late in the game, as you emphasize, Nathan, but it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and Jay Burnham was definitely in my boat. So I was happy that I wasn't the only one being like, why is this a foul? Um, so yeah, I'd like to hear what Joey has to say. Um, so I think this was probably the, the most notable part of this game, just for the fact of what McCall had to say after the fact, if, if you don't know already, McCall was saying how um, kind of putting the blame of his loss on the refs and specifically because of this call. <laughs> I, I don't think that's too fair for McCall to say just because there was a lot of things that went wrong. I think they were up eight with a minute 20 left. And that, I don't know. I don't think it should have to come down to that in the end. Um, you just have to be able to close that out. But at the same time, yeah, that's obviously not not a great foul call, I would say, by the refs. I think that was more on the side of being clean. And um, I agree with McCall in the sense that it is not a great foul, but I disagree with him in saying that 
this game is on the refs because <laughs> it, there's so much more that your team could have done. I think was the play before the one where Ronnie had that Hail Mary pass to Carl Pierre. Oh. And that was just, that was a very odd play call. Yeah. I, I don't know. I like, I get, I get what they were trying to do and it's aggressive, but you just got that, that was the, that, that was 40 seconds before so there were yeah. a few other baskets before that i yeah. think um, was up two or three possessions and then they decided to just turn hand the ball right over to mason under our hoop or umass's hoop but uh, yeah that was yeah just- so, so the context to so the context for that was umass was up five 59 54 with a minute and four seconds left after cola could hit a three and ronnie de gray had the inbounds pass mason was pressing um, as they should, you know, down by five with a minute to go in the game. And they were looking for Trey Mitchell, I think, around half court um, on a little X cut. And they couldn't find it to him. And I think it was maybe Carl Pierre, maybe Noah Fernandes made this sort of, you know, uh, seam run, you know, all the way up the court. And DeGray was trying to pick him out with a football style pass. And it ended up being overthrown, kind of similar to what you would expect from that situation in 2K, where you know they make it pretty much impossible for you to throw those full court passes because it used to be so OP. You could just, you know, throw all the way up the court, but it ends up going right out of bounds. And of course, because it wasn't touched, uh, Mason ends up with the ball back at the on the UMass baseline, which means that they didn't have to eat up any clock whatsoever and jordan miller ended up getting an incredibly easy layup off of a backdoor cut off of that inbounds pass so that was pretty brutal because it ended up meaning that mason scored five points in the span of you know literally two seconds in in game time um and then javon garcia got called for a foul uh off the ball and uh or on the layup rather and mason ended up getting another point out of it so you know, and then it seemed like right after that, Fernandes hit a jumper, um, and it seemed like UMass, okay, up mm-hmm. four, 30 seconds to go, was going to be fine. But then they ran that Mason ran that great um, screen and roll, and 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 um, Hydara had an easy layup to make it a two point game. And at that point, it sort of felt like, oh boy, here we go again. Um, and then of course they ended up uh, tying the game just twenty seconds later. So. UMass should have put it away in the first half, or pardon me, should have put it away in the second half, and instead it ended up going to overtime. We will break down those overtimes for you right after these quick PSAs. You're listening to the UMass Basketball Show on WMUA. Hot Table Panini, located on Route 9 in Hadley, is just a few miles away from the UMass campus. Hot Table specializes in a variety of grilled panini sandwiches and also offers a selection of soups and salads. For over a decade, Hot Table has been serving paninis for customers all across the Pioneer Valley. Customers can order in-store or by using the Hot Table app to order for delivery. Their menu, store locations, and phone number can be found at hottable.com. The Center for Women and Community offers a variety of trainings and workshops on topics such as salary negotiation, healthy relationships, sexual and relationship violence advocacy, crisis hotline work, and how to support survivors. Organizations that are interested in the CWC's community education services can call their main line at 413-545-0883. That's 413-545-0883. CWC serves people of all genders in Hampshire County. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Welcome back to the UMass Basketball Show here on WMUA. A reminder that 
This show is brought to you by Hot Table, but also by Delivery Express. Delivery Express has been serving the five college area community since 1990. Customers can order from 85 plus restaurants located throughout the Pioneer Valley through their offices in Amherst, Northampton, and Springfield. More information can be found at DeliveryExpress.com or by calling 413-549-0077. I used Delivery Express a couple of weeks ago. My uncle actually got me a Delivery Express gift card for Hanukkah. I've been putting it to good use as I've been out here in the Amherst area, living it up. Definitely a great service. Would thoroughly recommend. We're back here. Nathan Strauss with Devin Dobick and Joey Alberti breaking down UMass's double overtime loss to George Mason. So I think it's about time we talk about the overtimes here because UMass ended up being up seven in overtime. Number one, 71, 64. Mm-hmm. Where did it go wrong? Do you think for, for UMass? Yeah. So Nathan, just before I get going on the overtime here, I want to just make a point that I kind of wish I included uh, about the second half is UMass starting the second half. I believe they scored 12 points in under three minutes to start the second half. And then they scored, I believe, between 10 and 12 points throughout the next 12 minutes. So when you said they should have put that game in the, away in the second half, they 100% could have. They started off hot. I believe they had a nine-point lead, largest of the game, and they were unable to just keep their pedal to the metal. Um, and then, yeah, um, just one last thing on the inbound play is that Ronnie DeGray pass was off of a timeout. So, like, they could have drawn up a play. This wasn't just something on the fly. This was a drawn-up play, and I think that's where um, McCall blaming the refs uh, is wrong because there were plenty of mistakes made uh, in his department. But shifting gears now to overtime, um, yeah, UMass, Nathan, I, I, going back to that ESPN chart, that was, you know, the win percentage that UMass should have had. They were up, I believe, seven in both overtimes and were unable to close out, which is just abysmal. I mean, it was just kind of heartbreaking to watch. You know, I'm sitting there. They, they gained a seven-point lead. I'm like, all right, like, they're, they're going to, you know, this is going to be a game where there's a lot to take away, but at least they'll get the win, 2-0 and in conference play. And I definitely spoke too soon. And watching the rest of that um, – I don't want to steal too many other points, but yeah, I'll let I'll let Joey go ahead and. Um, I also I want to bring up the end of regulation with four seconds left. UMass calls a timeout and has an inbound play to be able to score when the game's tied, and their play choice was to <laughs> give it to Trey at the top of the key, who then dribbles behind his back and loses the ball, and they don't get yeah. a shot up. When you're Matt McCall, I feel like that's the spot of anywhere where you you really make your money in the sense that if you make if you call up a really good play and just execute and win the game with four seconds. That's obviously huge for a team and just shows how, how smart of a coach you are and just being able to, um, what's it called? Outsmart George Mason, but they just didn't, they didn't even get a shot up. It'd be different if they got a good look and they missed, but they just, it, it yep. felt like a really odd play call. If it was even that exact play call or the guys on the floor just said like, whatever, we're going to kind of just do this and, see what happens, um, which I kind of doubt. But also, going now going into overtime, um, before I kind of give crap to UMass, I want to say Jamal Hartwell and Tyler Kolek deserve a lot of credit. And hats off to them for, I think, making three threes in the final two minutes and 15 seconds of the game. Jamal Hartwell is coming within the final 50 seconds. Jamal Hartwell was extremely clutch in these two overtimes, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about him going forward. But 
he he was cold blooded for this George Mason team in overtimes, being able to just keep surging them back in. And he's kind of the reason that they were able to stay in the game. But obviously, on the UMass side, um, many mistakes were made going forward. And I think that kind of all uh, caught up into itself at the end when Noah, they had no timeouts and Noah just tried going coast to coast without passing the ball and took a very heavily contested layup that had no shot of going in to send it to double overtime. Yeah, and those ATOs have been really concerning, I think, for UMass this year. We saw it at the end of the game in the Northeastern loss. Um, and it doesn't seem like that is necessarily this this coaching staff's forte in terms of drawing up successful after timeout plays. Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned some of those clutch threes that um, that Jamal Hartwell hit. This man is a 26% career three-point shooter. He went four of five from deep yesterday, including two like heavily contested deep threes. So I do think that there is an the, the, the optimist in me says that there is an element of bad luck for UMass in this game, you know, where Mason had to hit these crazy shots and go on a crazy run, and they did. And I guess credit to them. But on the other hand, it would have been so easy to just, you know, coach Mason out of the game, um, which I guess is the next thing we should talk about. Multiple times in this game, UMass was up three with, you know, under 30 seconds to go. Conventional wisdom says that you foul when you're up three and put Mason at the line. And I think this point is furthered by the fact that going into last night, Mason was the ninth worst free throw shooting team in the entire country at 58.5% from the line, which is truly terrible. Like that puts them at 321st out of 327. It's like, that's like a truly abysmal number. And especially as their roster got thinner and thinner with the players who fouled out. Why did UMass not foul? Is there, is that, is that defensible to, to you guys? I was just like, yeah, Nathan, you're, I was reading your tweets uh, the other night, and yeah, I, I was like, I'm not a huge Twitter guy, but what you said I felt needed to be retweeted. There was bad coaching decisions throughout, like Matt McCall blamed the refs, and I didn't know that. Um, I was unable to attend media. I was, I was, uh, got caught up in something else uh, after the game. Um, but yeah, there, it's really frustrating that I learned that McCall's kind of pinning a little bit of the loss on the refs. Okay, there was a few bad calls, but. When you look at all the chances he had to close out the game and he just swung and missed it, all of them, it's frustrating. I mean, well, I'll go back. I'm just going to recap and list off all the ways. The Ronnie DeGray pass, that was off a timeout. They could have drained the shot clock. I think there was like un- around a minute left. And instead of taking 30 seconds off the shot clock or going to the line, they went for a Hail Mary pass, gave George Mason the ball with, I think, one second less on the clock than when they had it out of bounds. There's a great reason. Not fouling, as you said, Nathan, the ninth worst free throwing free throw shooting team in the country. When you're up three, that's just a no-brainer. Um, and then as Joey kind of touched on, the Noah Fernandez contested layup is the best play you can draw. I mean, when you need a bucket, a sure bucket, at least a clean look. And then Trey Mitchell, you're giving him the ball at the top of the key. He hasn't looked like himself the entire game. Um, and you're letting him have a chance to, you know, try and ISO and go to the rack when George Mason's game plan is to lock him down and they executed that perfection, forcing a turnover. I mean, I'm sure more will pop in my head. 
Um, but yeah, Matt McCall made a lot of questionable coaching decisions when he for sure could have closed out the game. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of shocked at how how um, he's definitely on the hot seat. Oh, so when McCall was asked about not fouling before um, or after the game, I should say, sorry. He was saying how he discussed it with his coaching staff and he just felt that there was too much time. I think it was 14 seconds or so that he just decided that um, he'll play on without fouling because so much can happen in those 14 seconds. But I that's not saying I agree with the call. I'm just trying to give him a call. Just say McCall's side of the story from where he came from. But I, I it's definitely not the right call. And yeah, Joey, to that point, if, if they missed the three-point shot, we'd probably be having a different conversation. But in hindsight's 2020, and based on Mason being a terrible free-throw shooting team, it seems like it should have been a no-brainer. But again, if they missed the three-pointer, then maybe we'd kind of be laying off a bit. But unfortunately, um, George Mason, you know, they executed to perfection, and, and here we are. And also, late in this um, first overtime, Noah missed another free throw, one of his four. Um, like Nathan was saying before, 92%, and he missed. And it's not that he missed four free throws. It's just the timing of when he missed them was just really brutal because if he makes that free throw, then that puts UMass up four, I think it is. Um, or maybe, I, don't, I, think, I think at that time, late in the game, um, it would have put UMass up four, and obviously that would be the game. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Just an odd end to overtime. Yeah, so definitely definitely that was was pretty bad, I would say. And coaching-wise, look, I really like Coach McCall. Like, as a person, he's he's a very <laughs> kind person. He always takes the time to answer our questions. Um, and But at the same time, I, I kind of, you know, I sympathize with a lot of the frustration of UMass fans on Twitter who are making their themselves heard um, because... I tweeted this out last night. This is a stat that I've sort of been loosely tracking on my own since um, since the Yale loss in overtime last year. UMass in close games, um, which I described as five games decided by five or fewer points under Coach McCall, are 11 and 25 in games decided by five or fewer points. And as someone pointed out, that includes games that UMass probably should have closed out beforehand and ended up being within five points um, because they blew big leads. So, uh, you know, similar to last night, UMass could have closed it out up seven or up nine, and uh, they didn't. So, again, I'm sympathetic because UMass is one of the least lucky teams in the entire NCAA, according to Ken Palm. I asked Coach McCall about that, and he sort of was a little less receptive to the idea that luck has played a big part mm-hmm. um, in this season whatsoever. But, you know, there were some moments of luck, like deep threes falling for the other team is luck. But on the other hand, there were areas that they absolutely could have controlled. And, you know, even burning another timeout on that inbounds play instead of throwing it up the court, that would have been fine. Um, and I think there's a reason that this loss feels particularly bad. Um, and I think it's because it is probably the worst loss that UMass has had in a long, long time. Especially so, under Matt McCall. Especially under Coach McCall. And I think that the 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 seat is gradually heating up for um for coach McCall, especially with, you know, a potential uh, replacement already, you know, seemingly already existing. So um, definitely a less than ideal loss, especially, I mean, if there's one thing that, that UMass can take away, 
it's that fortunately the game against St. Louis was postponed. We're not fortunately, but due to, to COVID circumstances in the Billikens program, they no longer have to play this Saturday against the best team in the A-10. Um, so they can probably, you know, rest up this weekend unless somehow Ryan Bamford can schedule a game, um, you know, out of the blue. But uh, UMass has some some really big questions to answer mm-hmm. because there was so much hype around this program that seems to have dissipated in the course of three um, consecutive games. Yeah. I also want to add really quick. Sorry, Devin. Go ahead. Um, I think what makes this loss even more hurtful for uh, UMass fans is the fact that it's piggybacking right off of the Bryant loss that, which is a game where McCall and just McCall and the players just didn't seem as prepared as possible. And I think just getting out coached basically in two straight games is unideal. <laughs> and it's to two teams that you should most certainly beat. I think the spread was nine and a half for Bryant and mm-hmm. it was four and a half for George Mason. So, and also UMass has been um, the odds on favor to win every single game that it's taken a part of this year. And it's they're two and three. So that's, that's not a, a good sign. And yeah, I'll let Devin, I'll let you talk. I'm just looking over numbers here and kind of like me and Joey broke down the Brian game. There was just so many points left in just bad situation and bad decision-making UMass was 25 of 65 from the field. Bryant 32 of 68. Um, and then three pointers, UMass 10 of 30. They missed 23 point shots, eight of which were missed by TJ weeks who shot 50% in his limited time last year. And then Bryant seven to sixteen, they they heated up. I think they, I believe they started one of eight from three, so that means they finished off. Quick math, six of eight on their last eight three point shots. So they heated up. I mean, they capitalized. They were twenty two of thirty six from the line. Uh, that is for George Mason. Um, and free throws, UMass thirty two of forty four. And when you got a guy like Fernandez, who's ninety two percent, as Nathan said. Um, that can't happen. You got to, you know, they lost by one and this went to double overtime. You know, those 12 points, if you just hit one or two of those small things, I mean, it could change the game. And then uh, just a couple more quick stats. Um, Points off turnovers. The turnovers, according to, um, I've seen 18-16 in favor of UMass having less, but what I'm looking at now is saying 16-16. so, yeah, anyways, but points off turnovers, 20 for George Mason and only 10 for UMass, which is kind of, you know, you scratch your head. And they shut down Trey Mitchell. Uh, like we've been saying, hats off to George Mason, coach. He executed um, Trey Mitchell, um, shutting down Trey Mitchell, that is, extremely well. Um, points in the paint, George Mason had 44 points in the paint as opposed to UMass having 22. They doubled our points in the paint. Uh, or UMass's points in the paint, excuse me. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. Just looking at these numbers over and over again, it's kind of just, you know, haunting me, if you will, because of all the opportunities that UMass had to win the game or change the game or, you know, it just, they, they, George Mason executed their game plan. They kept it to, they kept regulation. I believe it was, uh, I'm forgetting now. I think it was around 60, which they said they wanted to do during, the game um and yeah they shut UMass down and you know neither team wanted to win but George Mason definitely um took advantage of UMass's many mistakes 
and we're able to hang on. Yeah, and I think Jordan Miller is someone that we we slightly talked about, but he was just so impactful in the sense that I don't know why they have him coming off the bench. I feel like that's a little odd just because he's their best player. But just having 26 points, eight rebounds, five assists, and he was along with Jamal Hartwell at the end there, but he was the one that kind of kept them in that game um, during regulation and then through the overtimes, except for the, the end when Jamal Hartwell did what he did. He was that guy. Like, he was the guy taking over. He hit the two free throws at the end of double overtime, actually, to uh, or the one free throw, or I don't know if it was one or two, but he hit the, the go-ahead free throw at the end of double overtime. He performed extremely well. And then Tyler Kolek, those, the three of those players um, together were just very clutch in the end when it mattered. I think Hartwell and Kolek weren't as hot uh, during the beginning of that game, especially Jamal Hartwell. Um, I talked to their coach after, I, I forget his name, Dave, Dave something. Paulson. Dave Paulson, yes, thank you. Dave Paulson was just talking about how Jamal kind of persevered because he was really shooting cold at the end of that game, and then he kind of came together when it really mattered, making those two or those four ginormous threes when uh, George Mason really needed it. And Nathan, like you were saying about the luck, um, someone that shoots as low as a percentage as Jamal Hartwell, making those four threes in double overtime, and some of them being as contested as they were, is extremely impressive and extremely a little lucky for sure. But I think you, you also have to be like, all right, why was this luck able to allow George Mason into a game where UMass was in control for just about every single second, except for the end. Absolutely. Well, a lot of information. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of information and UMass is definitely, definitely has their backs against the wall, but we have hit our half an hour, uh, mark so we might leave it here before another busy week of 810 games um barring more covid uh postponements and reschedulings and the like thank you guys for joining me as always there's definitely a lot to process right now and all i can say is keep the faith thank you devin and joey for joining me i've been nathan strauss you can catch this podcast on spotify or live on 91.1 wmua We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for tuning in.